Al Jazeera podcast. Israel has presented its defense at the International Court of Justice after South Africa argued it's committing genocide in Gaza. Its lawyers say the case is a distortion of the truth. But did they make a compelling argument? And what will come out of this unprecedented case? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guests in Cape Town, Kathy Powell, Associate Professor in Public Law at the University of Cape Town. In Istanbul, we have Hassan Ben Imran, a board member for Law for Palestine, a non-profit human rights organization which records developments related to Palestine and international law. And in Dublin, Michael Becker, Assistant Professor of International Human Rights Law at Trinity College Dublin and a former staffer at the International Court of Justice. A warm Welcome to you all. Thank you very much for joining us on Inside Story. So we're going to be focusing today on some of the Israeli defense arguments before we discuss the likely outcome of, of this case at the ICJ. Hassan, let me start with you. Israel brought their best legal minds to The Hague, but did they bring their best arguments? What was it about their defense that struck you the most? Yeah. Uh, so to give some general preliminary examination, let's say, or, or observation about the Israeli arguments, I think the Israeli defense was in a very bad, uh, difficult situation. Uh, they are defending an indefensible case, substantively. Uh, I think Israel offered no substantive case. Substantively, there was nothing, or close to nothing, offered by the Israeli defense. However, there was a great deal of concentration, a great deal of focus on procedural law, on jurisdiction, on the procedures, on the technicalities, in order to preempt any conversation on the substance. Since the substance has been very clearly portrayed by South Africa, South Africa has relied on international sources, the UN, uh, other, uh, other organizations, uh, Doctors Without Borders, so on and so forth. That's one, one observation that, I, that struck me the most, which was not totally unexpected, to be honest. Uh -huh. Another, to be honest, more dangerous observation that I had about the Israeli defense yesterday is that it was somehow subtly appealing to the personal and political perceived inclinations of the judges, which is which is something that made me very uncomfortable, to be honest. Okay. Uh, we, we understand that the, the, the ICJ, uh, or international law at large, is a mixture of law and politics. This is something that any legal practitioner knows by heart. Like This is something that is very evident. International law is not the same like domestic law. There are much more complications. However, as far as the ICJ is concerned, it's the most prestigious court. Uh -huh. It's the, the judicial organ uh, of the United Nations. It has proved to be quite professional, I would say, in the way it deals with many issues. However, I, I hope this case won't be an exception in this particular regard. Okay. Uh, before we jump into any conclusions, I think this case offers new elements into the way that we see genocide doctrinally, legally. Okay, and, and we'll be picking picking up some of the the, the arguments and, and discussing them in more detail. Let me get Michael's general overview first of Israel's defense. Uh, did Israel, in in your view, Michael, make a compelling argument in response to South Africa's genocide case? Was it able to provide any? Uh, solid arguments on the basis of fact and law? 
It's very important to understand what was happening in this hearing, because this wasn't a hearing on the overall merits of the case, on the overall allegations that South Africa is making under the Genocide Convention. Mm -hmm. This was a hearing specifically focused on whether or not South Africa has satisfied the requirements to convince the court to issue these provisional measures. So Israel's task uh, yesterday was not only to lay out its uh, overall rejection of South Africa's claims, but it had to specifically um, try to uh, rebut the points that are specific to provisional measures. And where I thought Israel was most effective was to make the case very clearly that it would be problematic for the court to accede to South Africa's request for a complete and immediate suspension of military operations in Gaza. Israel's argument here was that it continues to face a very serious ongoing threat from Hamas mm -hmm. and that the court can't put Israel in a position where it simply cannot defend itself. So that goes less to whether or not the court should indicate provisional measures and more to the question of exactly what those measures should be. So on that specific point, I thought Israel probably did what it needed to do. But and that's where, where do you think they were, they were ineffective, Michael? On the merits. Where, where, do you think they were in, where do you think they were ineffective in, in their argument? Well, I think that uh, the hearing yesterday really brought to a fore what's going to be the, the, a major issue in the case. And that's this gap between, or perceived gap, between what Israel says it's doing and what all the evidence emerging from what's happening on the ground mm -hmm. seems to tell us, which seems to tell us a very different story. So okay. uh, Israel reiterated in the hearing that it takes international humanitarian law very seriously, that it does everything that it can to avoid civilian casualties while fighting an enemy, Hamas, that will flout international law at every opportunity, and that Israel is doing everything it can to deliver humanitarian aid. But those assertions are very difficult to reconcile with the widespread reports of so forth. Indeed, indeed. Kathy, let me bring you into the conversation. The first argument that Israel fundamentally made was that South Africa is the legal arm of Hamas and that therefore they have no credibility uh, in, in making uh, this case to the ICJ. Do you think they offered any legitimate evidence that South Africa is operating as a prox proxy of Hamas, as they claim. And what did you thought was effective and ineffective in, in the arguments they presented? The claim that South Africa is acting as a legal arm of Hamas is uh, basically irrelevant, mm -hmm. even if it were true. Even if, it's, if, it's, if South Africa is sitting taking orders from Hamas, what the court has to decide is the merits of the case that South Africa brings. South Africa is a state that has a right under the Genocide Convention to bring this case. Uh, accusing it of bias is not really getting our argument very further. We need to apply the law mm. rather than questioning the motives of the the state bringing the case. So that that argument was just a bit irritating, uh, to be frank. It, it's a red herring. Um, the most effective part of Israel's argument, I agree with Michael that uh, the defense specifically about provisional measures was very nuanced and careful and occasionally compelling. Mm -hmm. um, it was also 
produced an unexpected ace when it spoke about the steps that South Africa and it claimed Israel had taken to sort out the dispute between the two countries. Yes. I can't comment on which side was factually correct because I don't know what steps were taken. But if it is true that South Africa, in effect, made no attempt to get Israel to respond to it on its complaints about Israel's uh, allegedly genocidal acts, that may have a bearing on whether the court has jurisdiction at all. In effect, gives the court a kind of a backdoor if it wants to dodge the issue entirely. But I I think what ended up being the most pressing issue substantively is how we deal with the relationship between self-defense and genocide. Uh And both South African and, and Israeli advocates played with this issue. And I think it's an interesting one to explore. Okay, before I bring uh, Hassan back into the conversation to ask you about the the question of genocidal intent, Hassan. Kathy, let me just pick up on what you you said there about the question of jurisdiction. Uh, Israel arguing that that South Africa, that that South Africa, South Africa did not make interactions with it, that they had the opportunity to solve the dispute. Does the law require that they solve the dispute before taking it to the International Court of Justice? It requires that they attempt to resolve it. Mm -hmm. So what the Genocide Convention says is that disputes under the convention can be referred to the ICJ. And the case law of the ICJ is quite particular about what the word dispute means. And in particular, it requires some form of engagement between the two parties. It does say, the the case law of the ICJ, and South Africa relied on this, that a dispute will result when one state says X and the other state says the opposite. Mm -hmm. But other case law of the ICJ has also emphasized that there's got to be some interaction between the two states on that disagreement. And it's possible that South Africa wasn't careful enough on this step. I, I simply can't answer that on the facts. Okay. Hassan, on the question of genocidal intent, the Israelis said there's no genocidal intent and that the statements made by Israeli political military leaders are simply rhetorical and that we shouldn't ascribe them any importance that there's no evidence, basically, that there, there is genocidal intent from, from Israel. Yeah. Your thoughts about this argument and what do you think could undermine this claim? Um, all right. Uh, I would be very happy to comment uh, on the issue of self-defense as well that was brought up after commenting on the issue of intent, because I think it's a very uh, important discussion to have for the provision mm-hmm. measures in particular. Uh, but uh, regarding uh, intent, the question of Manzria, whether uh, Israel has provided a special, uh, specific special intent uh, to destroy Palestinians or the protected group in total or in part. Uh, one way to learn this one, historically speaking, through the previous case law, through the jurisprudence of the court, as well as the different tribunals, is the statements of the leader. But that was not the only way forward. Speaking of the statements, South Africa did document some quite good, well-documented sources or or, uh, incidents of incitement. However, it could have been better. Why better? Because Israel has had an extreme unrestrained campaign of genocidal intent. We in Law for Palestine have released few days before the hearing a database of 500 plus statements, genocidal statements by Israeli leader, the chain of command, the, the, the war cabinet, the, 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 the expanded the, uh, cabinet, the Knesset, 
the army soldiers, the, the former army soldiers, the heads of the, the intelligence bodies, we're talking about the joints of the states. Now someone mm -hmm. would tell me, okay, but these are not the ones they're making the decision about this one. Okay, what about the punishment that South Africa spoke out of? What about the prevention that South Africa spoke about? So as far as the statements are, are provided, I think there is no any other genocidal case that has been well documented like this one in terms of intent. That's one. And I would be, I, I think Al Jazeera will be covering uh, the, 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 the database that we have published a few days before the hearing. That's one thing. Another yeah. thing with regards to intent is that intent is not just about the statements. Like, why are we expecting that everyone who wants to commit genocide will come and say, hey, guys, I'm committing a genocide. Also, the issue of inference that was uh, very clearly stated in different tribunals, including uh, the, the Yugoslavia one. The issue of inference, like when you block the water, electricity, uh, when you destroy the healthcare system, right. South Africa documented 11 partial hospitals function. When you destroy culture, like there, there is inference based on certain action that we could discuss further and further, including ethnic cleansing, mm -hmm. which is very uh, excluded from this discussion. And I, I okay. believe it should be included to the question of men's beer. We, we, yeah, indeed, there are a lot of other issues, yeah. of course, that need to be included. But, yeah. Michael, let me yeah. get your thoughts briefly about genocidal intent before I ask you about Germany and its actions uh, wanting to support uh, this case uh, against Israel, wanting to support Israel uh, at the ICJ. On the question of genocidal intent, first of all, how direct and clear does genocidal intent have to be? Genocidal intent remains very difficult to prove, even in situations where we ha might have abundant evidence of atrocities or where it's very clear that other types of international law violations are taking place. So it's, it's entirely true that in this case, we have the unusual circumstance of this body of evidence of direct statements that South Africa has pointed to that could be read as expressing directly genocidal intent, but that's going to be fiercely contested. Israel will come back and explain why at least some of those very problematic statements uh, have been misunderstood or taken out of context or can't be attributed to the state. But that's a big part of the case. But it will have to be connect connected, exactly as Asana said, to that on-the-ground evidence from which genocidal intent can be inferred. The difficulty there is that if you're going to infer genocidal intent from contextual or circumstantial evidence, this has to be the only inference that can be arrived at. That's okay. the court's test. And that means that anytime you have allegations of genocide in a context of armed conflict or counterterrorism, it becomes even more difficult to meet that very high threshold. But that's at the merits. That's not what South Africa had to show at mm -hmm. this stage of the case. Uh, Germany, uh, Michael, let me ask you about Germany. They've announced that they would speak in Israel's defense as a third party uh, at the ICJ, denying charges that Israel's committing genocide in Gaza. How much weight will this add to Israel's defense? Right. So any party to the genocide convention under a particular procedural mechanism can uh, come into the case as a non-party intervener later. Germany has said they're going to do that and that they are going to uh, offer their interpretation of the convention in support of Israel's position. Uh, that can sometimes uh, add uh, legal value to the case, depending on what a state comes in and says. But what's really interesting about Germany's intervention here is that Germany, along with a handful of other states, also recently intervened in a different genocide convention case in front of the court. That's the case that the Gambia has brought against Myanmar. Mm -hmm. And that declaration is already in front of the court and sets forth Germany's position 
on how various provisions of the Genocide Convention should be interpreted, and in particular, that very important question of genocidal intent, where Germany and other states essentially are urging the court to take what I would describe as a slightly less restrictive approach to how you reach that standard. Okay, Kathy, your thoughts about Germany uh, saying that it would speak in Israel's defense. Do you think w this will hurt or, or help Israel in its defense? It's going to depend entirely on the strength of the argument that it brings. But I'm interested to hear from Michael that Germany has already uh, motivated for a more generous interpretation of the Genocide Convention, mm -hmm. which is the very thing Israel is arguing against in this case. Um, I think that a lot of this is going to boil down to the genocidal intent, and right. it's going to boil down to whether general, genocidal intent in effect negates the claim of self-defense, uh, because that is the argument that South Africa made on Thursday, that mm -hmm. even if, well, it, that was, it wasn't about self-defense specifically, it was about whether the laws of war are being complied with. Vaughan Lowe said, even if Israel is complying with the laws of war, if it is doing so with genocidal content, it, it has no excuse. It's, we've got genocide and there is no justification okay. for genocide. Now, Kathy, yeah. Kathy, for the moment, the court, again, just to clarify for our viewers, is not deciding on the question of genocidal intent. It's going to be ruling on the provisional measures, right? South Africa has requested that Israel uh, order, uh, suspend its military op operations, and we should know in a few weeks, I guess, about the provisional measures. Now, my question is, even if the court rules in favour of the provisional measures. It doesn't have its own enforcement mechanism. We know, for example, that the court ordered Russia to seize its military operations uh, against uh, Ukraine, but that didn't happen, right? So what does this case achieve ultimately, these provisional measures? If the court rules in favor of the provisional measures, will it make any difference? I, I will answer that, but may I just quickly point out that genocidal intent remains relevant even now because mm -hmm. South Africa has to make a prima facie case for uh, for genocide. So um, whether genocide and self-defense cancel each other out remains important even now. Um, but on your question of enforcement, yeah. no, you, you're quite right. The ICJ doesn't have its own police force. The only institution it can, re it can rely on if a state refuses to comply with it is the Security Council. And we know because the United States is a permanent member with veto power on the Security Council that the Security Council is not going to do anything either. So the the force of provisional measures from the ICJ is going to be moral. It's going to affect morals, uh, Israel's moral standing in the global community because it, in order to issue any provisional measures, no matter how weak, it will have made a preliminary finding that there is a prima facie case that Israel is committing genocide. And that in itself is enough to affect Israel's negotiation with other parties in this conflict. I think we must also bear in mind that Israel has started to allow humanitarian aid in, has started to claim that it's abiding with IHL, has started to be a lot more careful with civilians and set up hospitals, most of it in the wake of South Africa bringing this case. So in a way, 
even before the provisional measures are handed down, assuming they do get handed down, the case has already made a difference. Mm. It hasn't stopped the armed conflict, and it might not. We might not get provisional measures for a ceasefire. But we have already got Israel having to answer in a public forum for, in particular, the worst of the genocidal statements that South Africa identified on Thursday. Hassan, do you agree with Cathy that the case has already made a difference, even if we, we don't know what uh, the court will rule on the provisional measures yet? Now we're discussing something about provisional measures. And as Michael uh, said in the beginning, provisional measures are now what's being discussed in the hearing mm -hmm. for a ceasefire somehow. I mean, that's not the language of the South African application, but that's what could be inferred. The provisional measures intended purpose is to stop the war. Yeah. Failing, failing to advance the provisional measures would really put the whole international law uh, would bring the whole international legal system to trial, not just Israel. But now about the, the issue of enforceability or the issue of impact, of impact. We know that Israel has a long track and record of not respecting any courts. But like, maybe this is the first time they accept, they agree to appear before a court because of the, the uh, serious nature of the, of the situation. I, I, I mean, the, the accusations against them. Uh, but we know that they haven't respected any decisions by the United Nations Security Council, General Assembly, the advisory opinions of this very court, and they even dismissed the ICC previously as anti-Semitic, the investigation. Uh, we know that Israel will not respect. However, many of its allies who provided coverage, who provided cover, the, the military, uh, financial, media cover, the moral cover somehow for Israel to continue, would be concerned about being involved in such a case that has been decided upon by a court. Uh, for Canada, it might be uh, like we see the Canadian, Canadian statement while rejecting the South African claims, they could not make uh, any, any negative co comments on the court. Mm -hmm. The same applies for the countries of the European Union. The same applies for the UK. Uh, who, against who, the, uh, against which the, the court judged once. Uh, this might not be the case for for Israel and some of its allies, but for the right. majority, it would create an impact and would, it would pressure them to act in a certain way. Okay, Michael, your thoughts. What do you think is likely to be the outcome of this case? Will provisional measures be issued and what will be, you know, the effect, the impact for, for Palestinians in Gaza? Well, I think it is likely that the court will, will issue the provisional measures, but it's really important to understand that the court isn't restricted by what South Africa has asked for exactly. They don't have to say just yes or no to the different requests South Africa has made, which aren't limited to this point about ceasing military operations. I think the court will want to address the military operations in some way, but will need to come up with some other formulation maybe something along the lines of Israel needs to ensure that any continuing military operations are in compliance with its other obligations under international law, including the Genocide Convention. And I think there will be other provisional measures directed at uh, the specific question of ensuring that Israel doesn't impede or indeed facilitates uh, the delivery of the necessary and effective humanitarian assistance. There are other measures as well that might involve uh, preservation of evidence, for example. In terms of enforcement, uh, what Kathy has said is, is exactly right. Um, in theory, you could go to the Security Council, but the Security Council is actually never really involved in enforcing ICJ decisions. The value of whatever the, the court decides here is mm -hmm. that other states can then draw upon that to try to um, increase the diplomatic pressure on Israel to change its conduct in various ways. And my mm. last point would be that even if Israel comes out and says, we disavow what the ICJ has said, we reject this decision, 
what Israel says publicly may not align entirely right. with what Israel is doing behind the scenes. Okay. And Kathy's exactly right. I think the fact of the case even being brought has already uh, produced some effects. Okay. And the same could be said whatever the court decides. Thank you so much for a very insightful, very informative discussion. Thank you, Hassan Ben Imran, Kathy Powell, Michael Becker. Thank you to all three of you. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aishi, Omikulsum Sharif, Abla Ka, and Jimmy Getahon. Studio sound was by Eli Elhani. The program was edited by Vinish Velilat, Zena Bader, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Sunday for our next edition. On the next Necessary Tomorrows, science fiction writer Christopher Brown imagines a future where animals have the same rights as humans. If corporations have rights, why can't trees? If a corporation can be a legal person, why can't an elephant? An indigenous lawyer, Jack Fiander, takes the city of Seattle into tribal court on behalf of salmon for destroying their habitat with a dam. If it ultimately established that salmon have rights that can be violated, just like people do, that would be pretty earth-shaking. The Rights of Nature on Necessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.